Hey, everybody. Welcome. Just got a few people showing up so far. Welcome to the Beautiful Business Series. I'm going to assume my audio is working fine. We can hear you. Perfect. Thanks. So yeah, as you all come in, if you'll keep yourselves muted, you can have your video off. We're on. That's your call. But uh, we're going to do this in Zoom meetings because I refuse to pay for Zoom webinar. So keep yourselves uh, muted until it's time for us to chat. And yeah, let's get into it. I, I want to start with uh, an introduction because my assumption is that when this recording goes to a podcast feed, people who... There will be some people who who see who listen to this recording who've never interacted with me before. So I want to do a little bit of a bio. Uh, I'm Mark Butler, and the first time, the first dollar I made with the internet was in 2005, which makes me feel old. Yes, but it was this advertising scheme that you could do when Google AdWords was a brand new thing, and when SEO, search engine optimization, was a relatively new thing, and. Uh, there's a little bit of a game to be played there where you could make money with Google ads and, and SEO. And um, that worked for a short time and then moved on to uh, coaching, moved on to teaching people search engine optimization. A business partner and I had a membership that we had about 15,000 people go through where we taught people how to set up websites and how to do search engine optimization that that membership was was really successful until Google changed its search algorithm, which put us out of business pretty much overnight, which was sort of my first experience with running an algorithm dependent business. Um, after that, also in, in that period of time, launched a couple software businesses, very small software businesses that ended up getting sold. So that was my first experience with selling software as a service or as a subscription. Uh, from there, I did a lot of content creation and a ton of copywriting. I started doing services like done for you services with bookkeeping. Um, and I, and throughout that whole time I was doing coaching and then I became the quote unquote CFO for a bunch of different online coaching businesses. And that really gave me the chance to see inside sort of the inner workings of businesses ranging in size from kind of brand new all the way up to 25 million plus. So I'm doing the beautiful business series because I have kind of seen it all. I haven't done it all, nor do I consider myself expert in all of it. And this whole series is not for me to tell you how to do stuff. That's not the point. The point is for me to try to shed light on all these different models so that you can think a little bit more clearly and be, be a little bit more confident about your pursuits. The One of the challenges we face in sort of the general community of people trying to make a go of it with some form of content or expertise or coaching or whatever it is, one of the challenges we face is that almost always the person who's sharing information with you has a, ves a vested interest in you thinking a certain way about a certain thing. So if they're, if they're telling you the virtues of a particular model or of a particular strategy or a tactic, they have coaching or they have, a, they have a course or they have a membership coming behind it. And there is nothing wrong with that. And it also does create an incentive for them to really, it creates an incentive for them to, to paint a very specific picture of the thing that they're talking about. And we benefit from that. I benefit from that. But the the beautiful business series, I don't have a particular thing to sell you on the back of this. I would love to be your coach. I do one on one coaching. So if you're in the in in the hunt for a one on one coach, I might be your guy. I have a bookkeeping service that I would love for you to sign up for. That'd be great. There may be other products in the future, but today. This, this whole exercise is just a chance for me to share things that I've observed and hopefully to bring a little bit of uh, uh, clarity to people whose success has ended up uh, meaning a lot to me. And so I've got some slides. Let me share them. The Beautiful Business Series is about 
contribution, and I'll define contribution, but it's about contribution and profit without sacrificing quality of life. I think that's what everybody's pursuing, regardless of niche, regardless of business model, regardless of, I mean, everybody wants contribution and profit without sacrificing quality of life. In the uh, in the thousand or so, maybe 1500 one-on-one conversations I've had with coaches over the last nine years, themes have emerged. And from those themes, I have formed some opinions about why a one-on-one coaching business in particular is so well-suited to so many people. This this whole series, again, it's not anti-anything. It's not anti-business model. I'm not telling you that you should or shouldn't do anything. I would guess that many, maybe even most of the people who interact with this content will have some sort of a hybrid business where they'll do some one-on-one coaching, they'll do some training in the form of a course or a membership, or maybe they'll do some groups or they'll host retreats. Almost all of us seem to have that creative itch that we want to scratch that usually straddles multiple business models. That's what I do. It would be weird and hypocritical for me to tell other people to do otherwise, but I really want to highlight the benefits of a one-on-one coaching business because I don't think those benefits get highlighted very much in online in general, in the, in the communities that I hang out in, in particular. And a one-on-one coaching business is super compelling. It's one of the most elegant it's one of the most elegant ways to be a solopreneur, a solo operator uh, in the world. It's it's really a clean business. So let's talk about this. I said that I think that people are are pursuing uh, contribution and profit. I want to dig in on two points here. One is contribution. One is quality of life and work. So contribution, as I'm going to define it loosely here, is money and meaning through all the conversations I've had with coaches over the years and all kinds of entrepreneurs. Money is of course a goal, nothing wrong with it. I think money gets too much airtime and we'll be talking about that. I'm sure. But everyone I've ever talked to has told me they would like to make a financial contribution in their own life, whether they're in a, uh, whether they're married and they want to contribute to their household expenses or they're single and they want to make a contribution to their future, to their, um, to the things they're able to enjoy. Now money is absolutely a factor. Meaning is of course also a factor. I've never talked to anyone who's who, who didn't say some version of, I want to help people. I want to pass on the things that have been useful to me. Uh, There are people like me who will benefit from the work that I'm doing or from the things that I've learned or from the experiences I've had. Meaning ends up being, I think, the thing that really drives people forward, drives them through the difficult times. It gets them to do some of the less fun work that's required in our businesses. I happen to think that meaning is the thing that people are really pursuing, the sense that they've made some sort of a difference in their own life and in the lives of other people. So this is what I'm talking about when I say contribution, and I have never met anyone who didn't mention both of these when they talk about what they want their business to satisfy. They want money and they want meaning. Where it gets more interesting, I think, actually, I shouldn't say more interesting. Money and meaning are very interesting, but the constraints come in. The constraints come in in the second piece, the the piece where we talk about quality of life and work. When we talk about quality of life and work, I break it up into two questions. One question is, how much do I work? And the second question is, what do I do at work? Your quality of life and work revolves around these two questions because there's this inevitable collision between money and meaning and quality of life and work. Maybe collision is not the right word because these things aren't so much in competition with each other, but the trade-offs that are inherent to what we're doing, the trade-offs show up in the overlap of how much money do I want to make? How much meaning do I want to create? How much do I want to work? And what do I do at work? This is where we we have to acknowledge trade-offs because 
at a certain point, the pursuit of a certain amount of money will require more hours of work. I don't care what the course you bought told you. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a simple fact that at a certain point, or at least for a certain period of time, more money is going to require more work. And it also may be that as you pursue more and more money, it changes what you do at work. So the thing that you started out doing may have to change if you have decided that a certain amount of money is your is is the is the milestone that you're trying to hit. So there's this interplay. There's this there's a set of trade-offs between um, what I do at work, how much of it I do, and how much money I make, and how I feel while I'm doing all of that. That all of this interacts with each other, and because it's sticky, because trade-offs can be a difficult thing to talk about, I don't think they get talked about much, if at all. Most of the sales copy we all read, if it acknowledges trade-offs at all, it's going to only bring those trade-offs up as a thing that the course we're considering or the membership or the mastermind, it's going to bring those things up only as problems that that course or that membership or that mastermind will solve for us. Trade-offs aren't really, they're, you got to be careful with my generalizations, don't I? I have not often seen trade-offs acknowledged as a simple fact of human existence that also applies to business. That's what I'm not seeing much of. But I think that happiness actually starts with acknowledging trade-offs and working within trade-offs. And unhappiness is perpetuated by pretending there are no trade-offs. And we'll get more into that. If you've been in my world much, you've seen the slide that's on your screen now. Now, those of you who are just listening to the audio should know that there's a there's a graphic on my screen right now that I call the ref revenue cycle. I break all business, every single business in the world. I think it can be described by uh, three phases. One phase is called marketing, one phase is called sales, and one phase is called fulfillment. In the marketing phase, we're trying to establish a no like, and trust factor. It's the relationship phase, or it's the start of the relationship that we have with the people that we're trying to serve. And in the, in the marketing phase, we're taking people who are strangers and introducing them to us. So they're becoming contacts in our life, in our business. And then through the marketing process, we're having those contacts become prospects. Now, these are my definitions. I made them up, but a stranger is someone who doesn't know you or your work. A contact is someone who does know you and is somewhat aware of your work. And then a prospect is someone who knows you, likes you, and trusts you in the context of the problems you solve. And a person who truly is a prospect is ready for you to make them an offer. Once they're ready to hear an offer, we move to the sales phase. By the way, this will all relate to our discussion of trade-offs. In the sales phase, we make an offer. We, we tell them, I'd like you to give me this many dollars for this set of features, for this experience. And then they pay us and then the experience starts. So we move from the sales phase to the fulfillment phase where we actually deliver the experience that we promised in the sales phase. To loop it all together, in the fulfillment phase of the business, we are actually doing with that client the thing that should solve the pain that we talked about all the way back in the marketing the reason that they came to us, the, the reason they stayed tuned in, we're now delivering the solution to that, to that problem. And the goal of the, of the fulfillment phase of the business is to have people who are our customers become our evangelists. So in marketing, they know us, like us, and trust us. In sales, they become our customer. And in fulfillment, we hope that they become our, our evangelist and our repeat customer. These things all loop back on themselves. Everything we do in a business can be captured either by marketing or by sales or by fulfillment. And then all the administrative stuff that floats around that, setting it up, executing it, keeping track of it, et cetera. When we're talking about different business models, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching or, well, let me show you this next slide. Every business model that we can pursue, whether it's uh, on the screen right now, you have one-on-one -on -one coaching, you have retreats, you have group coaching, you have memberships, you have courses. All of these things sort of live on a continuum. 
And that continuum for me flows from low, low volume, high touch to high volume, low touch. All of these models, the most low volume, high touch tends to be one-on-one -on -one coaching and the most high volume, low touch would be courses with memberships being a close second place to high volume, low touch. What I wish was acknowledged more often in our, in our, our world, our community is that as you move along this spectrum from low volume, high touch to high volume, low touch, the demands of the business change. So if we go back to marketing sales and fulfillment, if in the sales phase, if the offer I'm making is group coaching, then that's going to inform both what I do and say in the marketing process, and then what I have to do in the fulfillment process. Everything flows from the thing that I'm offering. If I'm offering one-on-one -on -one coaching, then my marketing is going to look different than if I'm, if I'm offering courses. It bothers me deep down, like at a DNA level, that people who present quote-unquote marketing trainings or advice seem to act like a person who's selling courses would be engaged in the same essential activities as a person who wants to uh, have one-on-one -on -one clients. It's not the same set of activities. For those of you who can see my screen, uh, above my little arrow, my little continuum arrow, we have the business models like one-on-one -on -one coaching, retreats, group coaching, memberships, and courses. And below that arrow, we have the continuum of activities and requirements that progresses along, uh, progresses from one business model to the ne next. For example, in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, there's not a lot of marketing activity required in the sense that I probably don't have, not, not probably, I don't have to be advertising. It's not required for that business model. I probably don't have to create massive amounts of content. Um, I don't need a lot of technology in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business. I don't have a lot of content debt. I'll talk about content debt in a minute. I don't need, um, a big team in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, but as I progress toward higher volume, low touch businesses, I am more likely to see in those businesses, a bigger team, more marketing activity and more complex marketing activity. I'm likely to see a lot more technology in the form of websites, software, funnels, ad campaigns across multiple platforms. And I'm likely to see a lot more content debt. And that, I can't say that that's how it has to be. What I can say is I've never observed anything very different from that. Meaning I haven't observed a one-on-one -on -one coaching business that requires a ton of technology and a big team. And I have never seen a course driven or a membership business that requires very little technology and a very small team. They seem to come in as a package deal. The more transactions my business requires to get to a certain revenue level, the more infrastructure seems to have to be there, there to support the creation and, and, uh, fulfillment of those transactions. The fewer the transactions my business requires, the less infrastructure that's created. So if we go all the way back to this idea of, um, if we go back to the idea of how much do I work and what do I do at work? And we overlay that with this sort of continuum of low volume, high touch to high volume, low touch. What you see is that the person who starts out with the desire to have a, a high volume, low touch business, she is very likely success for her is going to look like running a team more than it will look like interacting with individual clients. And in a, and in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, her day, her work week is much more likely to be, Oh, I have a call right now. I'm going to jump on my call. I'm going to do the call and then the call will be over and then I'll be on about my day or I'll be on to my next call. I don't have a team. So there's this the reason I always call a one-on-one -on -one coaching business elegant is because it's so simple. There's just not that much to it. And when, when I interact with coaches who tell me, I really want to have a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, 
But then we talk about their business and I hear them using words like Kajabi. It's funny. Kajabi is like a signal word for me at this point. And, and, but I don't mean like a negative trigger. I mean, it's a signal when I'm talking to someone who says, I want to have a one-on-one coaching business. And then in the next sentence, I hear the word Kajabi. Suddenly I know there's a disconnect in the business. There's incongruence between what the person says they want and what they think they need. And I want to come in there and bring clarity. It's the same thing. I mean, entreport would be the same thing. Funnel, same thing. These are words that don't belong in the same paragraph. One-on-one coaching does not belong in a paragraph with the word funnel, nor Kajabi, nor entreport, nor, in my opinion, Facebook ads. These things are, to me, fundamentally incongruent. But because all of these one-on-one coaches or people who aspire to be one-on-one coaches are consuming so much um, content, content created by people whose business models are high volume, low touch. They're being told, here's how to do what you want to do. Even though there's a disconnect between what the, uh, what the person who is giving you that content is doing and what you claim to want to do. So, um, I mean, these are, please don't hear any of these things as like rules. They're just things that sort of raise my eyebrows as the bookkeeper, as the coach, when I'm, when I'm doing bookkeeping for a client who, uh, who has told me, I, I, I plan to fill a one-on-one coaching practice. And then I see that she's purchasing Amy Porterfield's course and this other $97 course and that other $49 membership. I see all these things and I understand curiosity, nothing wrong with it. I understand loving to learn, nothing wrong with it. But what I wonder about is, does she think that this course on Facebook ads is in any meaningful way connected to her desire to fill a one-on-one coaching practice. Because if she thinks that she's headed for frustration now, we're, I mean, okay, we're all headed for frustration. (laughs) Business has its, has its frustrations inherent, like it's built in, but there's this disconnect. And I think what's missing is that there isn't real, at least I have not come across a strong voice saying, if your goal is to fill a one-on-one coaching practice, you probably don't need to buy internet marketing courses or join internet marketing memberships because they have with uh, the goal of those things is to, the very well-intentioned goal of those things is to turn you into the person who's selling you that course in the first place. There Again, I just want to be so thoughtful and and clear and say, that's not bad. If you have a great desire to run a high volume, low touch business, you better be buying everything you can get from the Amy Porterfields of the world. They are expert in high volume, low touch businesses. I will, as an aside, say something we could all benefit from is to start watching what people do as much as we listen to what they say. So if someone, uh, for example, if someone is telling me like, uh, here's your, here's your course on how to run a great webinar. Here's your course on how to build a great funnel. I won't ignore the fact that the funnel that they are currently putting me through has as its target market, people who want to sell courses. So if my goal is to sell something is to sell to someone that is not a person who wants to sell courses, I'm engaged in a fundamentally different activity than they are. This is why sometimes our industry gets a bad name because it's sort of like, well, yeah, if you want to make money, you just sell courses to people who want to sell courses, right? And you know what? It's honestly not that far from true. The reason we all default to that is that that's a proven path. So there's a lot less fear and uncertainty. You sort of can learn the words of that work and then you can parrot those words and there is money to be made doing that. And I'm not in a position to say it's a bad thing. Uh, I I just want to say, watch what people do as much as you listen to what they say. So if someone is telling you, you can do anything you want with a coaching business, but then you see that their whole business is built around helping coaches build coaching businesses, that's useful. That's relevant. That's, that's relevant to the message that they're giving you. Okay. That's a little bit of an aside. So anyway, 
as you think about your business model, you want to you want to at least have an eye and an ear on how does the work I'm doing in the marketing phase, which is to say, how are people meeting me? How am I establishing a, a like and trust relationship with them? How does that relate to the thing that I'm offering? And the same for the delivery, same for the the actual experience I'm I'm offering them. How does that relate to the what I uh, to the way I'm selling and the way I'm marketing? Is there am I at least attempting to create congruence across the whole thing? Because if I'm, for example, taking a high volume, low touch approach to my marketing, but the thing I'm selling is low volume, high touch. I'm not going to end up where I want to end up. It'd be the same, by the way, if I want to have a high volume, low touch business, but I'm doing low volume, high touch marketing, it's probably not going to get me where I want to go. So I want to, I want to have an eye on these things and have some clarity around them. Now, it's my opinion that if a person's goal is to work in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 hours a week, and if her goal is to spend the majority of her time passing her knowledge, her experience, or in the coaching world, we'd say holding space, holding space for clients. If that's how she wants to spend the bulk of her time, then a one-on-one coaching business is going to be best suited because it's a business where you're doing that. That's all you do in the business. You meet with clients, you have coaching sessions with them. You tell them, see you next time. And you repeat. We kind of ruin one-on-one coaching businesses, frankly, when we treat them like internet marketing businesses, we sort of rob them of all their simplicity when we say, okay, I've got coaching calls at one and three, but then okay, then I got to get the new campaign set up in Facebook. And then, okay, it, like I've got to, I've got to, um, this is a classic, I've got to add all my new modules to Kajabi and um, I've got to update those other three modules. And like we're robbing, we're robbing a one-on-one coaching business of its simplicity when we're trying to treat it like a, a high volume training business. So for the person who tells me, well, what are the things I've heard most? I've heard, I'd like to work 10 to 15 hours a week. I'd like to spend most of my time coaching and not marketing. I don't really want to run a big team. I don't really want to be a professional marketer. I want to be a professional coach. I don't really want to deal with a bunch of complicated technology. I don't want to be dealing with a bunch of tech setup and tech maintenance. If all of those things are true, then commit to a one-on-one coaching business and it won't let you down. Now, well, let's talk about the big objection. I bet you could all guess what the big objection is. Who thinks they know what the big objection is? Come on, use that chat window. What's the big objection to a one-on-one coaching business? Becca says money. Amber says, I'm not going to make enough money. Oh, Amy says, how do I get clients? Okay. That's a concern, but I'm saying an objection to the model in general. And I agree with Becca and Amber who are both saying it's money, but the one that I hear most is one-on-one, one-on-one coaching doesn't scale. And what they mean by one-on-one coaching doesn't scale, I think is one of a few things. One is I'm inherently limited on the amount of money I can make in a one-on-one coaching business. Another one is a one-on-one coaching business requires me to have my, my butt in a desk chair with my face on Zoom talking to a client. So it's inherently restrictive to my freedom. Another objection I hear, which I think is, well, in almost all cases, I think this is a lie and I think it's based on ego, but that doesn't mean it's always true. The other one I hear is I want to help more people than I can in a one-on-one business. So I have to pursue a different model that allows me to quote unquote, 
help more people or even my favorite quote from the coaching world. My Probably my favorite anchoring quote, I don't know if we've talked about anchoring yet. My favorite anchoring phrase from the coaching world is have a bigger impact. If I want (laughs) to, here we go. Another little aside. If I want to sell you an expensive course or an expensive mastermind, I'm absolutely going to include one of the bullet points on that sales page is going to be have a bigger impact. It's, it's such a powerful anchoring statement that you, Like, I'll give you five bucks if you can find me a sales page that doesn't have that phrase on it. So we're anchored to this idea of more money, more impact. And we see those things as being in competition or in conflict with a one-on-one coaching business. And that all gets summed up by one-on-one coaching doesn't scale. Okay, a few thoughts about this. Number one, with with vanishingly few exceptions. I mean, vanishing, such rare exceptions. A person will actually work less, much less in a one-on-one coaching business than they will in a scaled group environment or a membership environment or a course environment. Much, much less. Why? Because there are so many moving parts. Look back at this slide with me. And for those of you listening, I'm back on the I'm back on the idea of the continuum of low volume to high low volume high touch to high volume low touch. At the low volume high touch end of the spectrum, there are so few moving parts. What do I need to run that business? I need a calendar. I need a phone, maybe a probably a laptop. I need a Zoom account, maybe. Not nece- it's not absolutely necessary. I need an internet connection. At the high volume, low touch side of things, I need, I mean, the list goes on. I need all this software. I need all this team. I need the virtual assistant. We got to reschedule that group call. So-and-so didn't get their download. Have you mailed out the, the binders yet? Um, oh, the binders are late from the printer. Oh, we forgot to update module 3.6 of the binder. It's just all this debt. I mentioned content debt earlier. High volume, low touch businesses have an enormous amount of debt built into them. It's it's not financial debt. It's technical debt. It's content debt. It's team debt. It's all this other stuff that gets piled onto the actual experience that we're trying to give the client. Does it benefit people? Can it benefit people? A hundred percent. I've been the beneficiary of people choosing to run those kinds of businesses. But if a person comes to me and says, I want to... I want to make meaning. I want to make money. I want to have great quality of life and, and really enjoy the work I do. I just don't know. I don't know how you beat a one-on-one business. So in a very real sense, it doesn't scale in the way that the sales pages you're reading, the newsletters you're reading and the Instagram posts you're seeing, it doesn't scale in the way that those businesses have claimed to scale. It doesn't, but those business owners, again, with very few exceptions are working harder than they've ever worked, stressing more than they've ever stressed. I mean, spending more than they've ever spent. Okay. That's if you actually believe that drives happiness. Okay. but they're on a treadmill. They're very much in a hamster wheel. They don't exit. We think of a one-on-one coaching business as being a sort of hamster wheel where always going to have a session. Like that's going to be, my life's always going to be built around these sessions and I'm never going to be, be free from this session-based hamster wheel. Okay, fair. People in high touch or uh, high volume, low touch businesses are on their own hamster wheel and it happens to bring with it stressors uh, I just wish you all could see behind the scenes in some of these businesses. The last year has been, (laughs) uh, it's not been pretty. It's not been pretty. I mean, are they all making money? Sure. They're all making money, but are they losing sleep? Yeah. They're losing sleep. When Facebook changes how it plays, when it changes its algorithm, there's a whole bunch of businesses that are going to lose sleep for the next long while. 
oh, there's just so much. There's so much that, again, these businesses can be so great, but high touch, uh, high volume, low touch businesses tend to operate more on a launch cycle. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that people don't come to me after nine years of being inside these businesses. No one ever comes to me and says, hey, Mark, why don't you run a launch-based business? No one has ever asked. No one has ever asked. I'm blown away that no one has ever asked. My sister, whose business is very similar to mine, Emily Sandberg, emilysandberg.net, I think, if you're looking for a CFO. No one has ever asked her either. And we talk shop. My sister and I know where all the bodies are buried. Nobody ever asks us, hey, you see these people absolutely printing money using these business models. Why aren't you pursuing that? Nobody asks. And my answer is, honestly, it doesn't look that great. I'm in there. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want your stress. I don't want your stress. I don't want your work either. I like my work, my quality of work, the way I spend my day is very, very enjoyable and meaningful to me. More money would not offset, it would not compensate me for the loss of enjoyment. Not that I couldn't enjoy those activities, but I, I don't yet have a great desire to manage a big team. I don't have a great desire to look at marketing spreadsheets and figure out, oh, what about that campaign? What about this campaign? What if we tweak this ad? What if we tweak that ad? It's not, it doesn't sound fun. Now, some people sound, that sounds very fun to them. And those are absolutely the people who should pursue those businesses. But the whole like funnel driven launch cycle business, it is a grind and don't let any sales page ever convince you otherwise. It is a freaking grind. It's risky. It operates in a black box. Do you know how many, oh, I'm on a little bit of a rant. Do you know how many conversations I've had in the last nine years? where the launch didn't go as hoped? Hundreds. And do you know what, when people are like, oh, the launch didn't go as hoped. And I'm like, gosh, okay, shoot. What do you think happened? They have no idea. Do you know how stressful it is to have no idea about why the thing didn't go like you had planned for it to go? The thing that you had built your business and your household spending around, and then it didn't go like it was supposed to, and you don't know why, so you start to guess, and your guesses are just guesses. It's a grind. It's such a grind. It's just not that appealing. So, okay, one-on-one -on -one coaching may not, quote-unquote, scale in the way that we want it to. But nothing scales in the way that we want, that we imagine it would, or that the sales pages promise. There is, uh, I know for some reason, I know lots of rich people, lots of very successful business owners. And of those, the number that can actually step away from their business for extended periods of time is, I mean, I can think of two and I have lots of friends and clients who have big successful businesses. And two of them I would call functionally retired. Two out of the thousands of businesses that I've interacted with. So if someone is selling you something, even an idea, if they're anchoring, anchoring you to an idea, there's a very low probability that they're actually living that idea in their own life and business. They may still think they're in pursuit. They may think it's just around the corner and it might be, but in my experience, it is extremely rare for people to actually create a business that they can step away from and to have it thrive in their absence. So no, it doesn't scale perfectly. It doesn't scale in the imaginary way that the sales pages promise, but it offers meaning. It offers quality of life. It offers great money. I'm going to try to get more and more examples in front of you all where a one-on-one -on -one business can actually scale to putting you definitely in the top tiny percentage of earners in all of humanity. And I'm not sure exactly what else you would aspire to, frankly. Here's the last thought I want to give to you. And then love to do a little Q and a little chat, a one-on-one -on -one coaching model. 
it's, it's naturally fertile soil for peace and happiness in your business because of the built-in constraints. Some of you have already, I would say you've all experienced one of two things. Either you've experienced the fear that you'll quote unquote, get too busy and be coaching too much. You've experienced that fear. You, you haven't gotten there yet, but you've got experienced that fear of like, oh, I'm going to be so busy that I won't have time for anything in my life. So you, you either fall into that category. Others of you have actually defined a certain amount of coaching inventory in your life. You've said, I'm available to coach 10 hours a week or six hours a week or eight hours a week or whatever. And you have sold out that inventory. Those of you who are thinking, oh, I'm afraid I'll get too busy have not yet acknowledged the fact that, and nor have the people who have actually sold out their full inventory have not acknowledged the fact that the, that the very happy idea of enough is baked in to this business model so that you can say, I've defined my inventory. It's this many hours per week. I have sold out that inventory. Therefore, my business has, has reached a sort of stable, steady state, a, a, a sort of completion, not in the sense that it's over, but in the sense that it's, it's enough. Enough is, is a crucial concept in human happiness especially in contrast with more. If I've committed to a philosophy of more, I have committed to perpetual unhappiness. I'll debate this with whoever you send me to, by the way. If I've committed to more, I want more. What's my next year's goal? It's bigger, got to grow, got to get bigger. I will always be unhappy. And if I could play for you the recordings of all my Zoom calls for the last nine years, you would have a hard time disagreeing with me. We get, these, we get these steady stretches of anxiety and stress and worry with some shame sprinkled in, with this temporary reprieve when the launch goes as we hoped it would, and then we're right back to wishing for more. Okay. They'll say, okay, a client will tell me, all right, so yeah, the launch went great. Okay, so that's great. Okay, so now next time I launch, I'm going to do this many. And I'm always like, hold on. What about that? What about what you just finished yesterday? Take a breath. You just pulled off what I consider to be a minor miracle in capitalism. Like you, no, we're, we're just going to bounce right past it and get to the next more. It's this perpetual unhappiness. I, the other day was on a call with a one-on-one -on -one coaching client who's building a great business, not a one-on-one -on -one business, but a fantastic business, because of course there are many options to create fantastic businesses. And I said to her, Hey, what does finished look like in your business? Like how, how will we know when you're done? And she, no exaggeration, burst into tears. Now that's not a problem. Tears are always welcome on our coaching calls. My tears, other people's tears. And she said, I've never even thought about completion because I just feel so much pressure to do more. It's always got to be more. Last launch wasn't good enough. I've got to launch bigger next time. And I said, okay, um, what if you don't? What if you don't have to launch bigger next time? What if next year looked exactly like, like this year? And she just said, well, that would be amazing. I don't need the money. For, like, I don't need the money to put food on the table, to keep the mortgage current. Her money does contribute to her household. It, there's a quality of life contribution there. But I said, okay, so what would you like to call finished? And she said, you know what? Maybe next year could look exactly like this year. I said, okay, what do you think? How does that feel? She's like, I just feel like you lifted a truck off my shoulders. Oh, okay, I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor of that. This idea of more Ironically, in a world that uses the word abundance all the time, the idea of more is actually an extremely scarce philosophy. It, it, it's a philosophy of scarcity because the idea that I'm always committed to more means that this is never enough. Today, now, this amount is never enough. There has to be more. That's a, that's a scarce philosophy. That's not abundant philosophy. They trick you, though. When they tell you that, oh no, it's abundant to believe there's always more. 
I'm like, well, yeah, of course there's always more. There's 8 billion people on this planet. I could moor myself to the grave if I chose to. Or I could say, this is, this is fantastic. This, this, this is good. This is enough. I can make meaning. When I shift from the lie of more to a philosophy of enough and to making my primary focus meaning, then I can succeed every single day for the rest of forever because I can enjoy the meaning of my work without attaching it to a dollar value. The One of the beauties of a one-on-one -on -one coaching business is that it has that constraint, that enoughness baked into it. So the wrestle, it's not that it's not that it's like a, an emotional get out of jail free free card. It's not as though there's no stress, no anxiety. What we're choosing instead is the mental heavy lifting of committing to enough instead of the perpetual mental heavy lifting of pursuing more. They both have a certain amount of difficulty in them. I think that my opinion, one produces more happiness on average than the other because it's built in sort of sufficiency instead of lack. And that's one of the many reasons that I think a one-on-one -on -one business is so compelling. So summarizing, I think we all get into this business because we want to have financial contribution. We want to make meaning. We want to do those things without sacrificing or violating quality of life or quality of work. On Sunday night, we want to be excited that tomorrow is Monday. For those of us who got into the coaching game because we believe in coaching, in other words, the direct interaction with two people in pursuit of an emotional change, of a new way of being, a one-on-one -on -one model, in my mind, is extremely compelling in pursuit of those ideals. And that's what we'll be talking about for the next five or six weeks and beyond as this maybe becomes... Uh, an ongoing podcast, maybe. Who knows what I'm ever going to do. Okay. I only rambled for 48 minutes, so now I would love to chat with whoever wants to chat. There's not a ton of you here, so raise a hand, unmute, whatever you want to do. I'm here for you. Dibert. What's up? Amber Dibert. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to say all the things that I feel like I shouldn't say out loud. Uh, <laughs> okay. What, how much money can I make with a one-on-one -on -one coaching business? What do you feel like is like a good range or like a good target or. A... If you, um, okay. So lots of disclaiming coming from me because as, as annoyed as I get about quote unquote abundance thinking, I also don't want to be a limiting factor in people's lives. I don't want to be a wet blanket. So if you think about what a coaching experience can sell for, and then you back in, you back down the math from there. Um, I personally know of a, of a one-on-one -on -one coaching business that is in the multi six figure above 500,000. And one-on-one -on -one coaching. You got a little cute little roommate back there. Um, so yeah, I know. Real boss. <laughs> I know. I know of, uh, and I want more. One of the reasons I want to maybe run this as a podcast is I want to surface stories of thriving one-on-one -on -one coaching practices that earn amounts of money that would be shocking to me too. But I do know of one personally that has snuck up into the six, seven, eight hundred thousand range. So of course, what drives that? Well, what drives that is what we would all consider to be like a, a pretty crazy per session rate, right? So then you think, well, who pays crazy per session rates? And then that becomes really the determining factor in how much the coaching business can generate is who's purchasing the coaching. So if I'm a hedge fund manager who makes $100 million a year, I probably don't pay my life coach. If I have a life coach, I probably don't pay my life coach 200 bucks an hour. I might pay him 2000 an hour and paying them less than that would actually seem weird and incongruent to me if I'm that hedge fund manager. So I've direct experience with a business making over 500,000, not mine, somebody else's. 
uh, in one-on-one coaching. But I think that a person who's like, you know, I want to make, I want to make 200,000 a year. I want to make two, 300,000 a year in a one-on-one business. The person you're serving will probably have to evolve to support that goal, but it's absolutely doable. Absolutely doable. Um, if you want to make $20 million a year, I, for me, it's hard to wrap my head around the math of how that happens like in any business, but, um, yeah. How does that, how does that sit with you? I mean, 500,000 sounds great. 500,000 is a living for sure. 500,000 is a living. Do you know what their, like what their offer is in that I business? Do. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm, we don't know who it is. You can just share it. <laughs> I'm cautious about sharing too many details, but it's, you know, the person meets with their clients pretty frequently and their client pays well over a thousand dollars a session. So. If you, here's another, everybody's free to judge me. And if anybody else has questions, I will stop. Uh, if you were to recommend a business where somebody was very hands-off making money absently, what would you recommend? Oh, see, I'm going to channel my friend, Jesse Meekum. Jesse would say any business where there is margin in the, where there's profit margin in the product can scale however far you're willing to scale it. And then the, the business owner's ability to step away becomes less a function of what the product is and more a function of the systems the the business builds to support itself. So Jesse is actually one of my two people who I could say, yeah, that guy could disappear for the next three years and you need a budget would thrive. Now it is a software company and software companies have some advantages as it relates to an owner stepping away. Um, but in his case, the reason he can't step away is because he has committed to building a team and within that team, they've committed to having a culture of system creation, system maintenance, standardization. Uh, that's really what drives a person's ability to step away. But my friend's pest control company is very similar, actually. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to be in the day-to-day of his pest control company. So that's kind of at the other end of the spectrum from you know, types of businesses relative to like a software business. It ends up being more about the people and the systems than the product itself as you pursue scale. This sounds like a great model for a bookkeeping business. Yeah. Yeah. Bookkeeping <laughs> business does have that potential. It, it needs a business owner who's, who's good at, at management and system creation and maintenance. <laughs> and that business owner would probably need a lot of coaching. And so <laughs> gets a lot of coaching. Um, I'm just scanning through the chat to see anybody else have, have questions. Mark, you know, I have a question. Hi cousin. How's it going? What time is it in Indonesia right now? We're coming up on midnight. So that's how much I value this because I go to bed at like 10, but not tonight. I am (laughs) so flattered that you'd be here. What can I do for you? Okay. It's a really basic question. I feel like we're just going to, I've just decided that now is the perfect time for me to do my life coaching business. Right. (laughs) And the last four years have been a great learning experience and I've changed my niche, but I have a really basic question because Mm. everything that you said totally speaks to me. I'm like, Oh yeah, duh. Like all of it. Yes. Duh. Of course it took, it took four years, but like I'm on board. So how do you find clients if you're not advertising? I'm actually really excited about the marketing classes we're going to do in this series. Um, you find clients through relationships. And that's such a platitude. And I know it is. But it's, a, it's an important thing for me to just keep bringing back in our conversation, all these conversations, because once you realize that a one-on-one coaching practice grows through relationships, referrals, renewals, and rate increases. Those are my four R's. They will come back up in this series. 
once you realize that that's how a coaching practice actually grows, you realize that you, you can and should spend a disproportionate time up front focused on relationships, knowing that those seeds end up being the thing that bear fruit for years to come. This is in contrast to uh, the person who tells me, I'm frustrated because I've published my podcast episode every week for 171 weeks, but my coaching practice isn't full. And what I want to say to them is that podcast is only useful to you in the context of how it either starts or nurtures relationships. The publishing of the podcast itself is irrelevant unless it's part of people finding you, getting to know you and like you and trust you better. Um, I think that people in your position who are sort of, sort of starting fresh seriously underestimate the power and the impact of the first one to three clients. And it's much easier. It's, it seems much more sensible and rational to think I have to build, I have to do marketing stuff that gets me X number of clients per year. And we think of it in a very like linear way. But what's more likely to be true is in a one-on-one -on -one business, my first one, three, five clients will either be or bring me my second one, three, five clients. And when I say be or bring, what I mean is because they'll renew or they'll refer or both. And so there's this, there's this snowball thing in a one-on-one -on -one coach, like many businesses in this world, but there's this snowball thing where one client becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, but it takes so much longer. It can take so much longer than we want it to. And actually the hardest part of the whole process is not what I do on any given day. It's how patient I am on any given day while those seeds are, are getting ready to bear fruit. A one-on-one -on -one coaching business, a new one-on-one -on -one coaching business could look like days, weeks, months of very little obvious activity. Mm -hmm. But then days, weeks, months later, maybe even two, three years later, it's like, oh, I'm pretty busy. How did I get busy? I'm not sure. Why am I so, like, what happened here? Well, what happened here was one client became two, became five, and it snowballed. And then through renewals and referrals, suddenly all my inventory is sold out. Okay, so that makes sense. you're, you're a person that historically has been, um, you've been an Instagrammer, yeah. but you have though, like you have, yes. see, I'm you're going to say like my mind very to... consistently, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to decide, like, I'm, I'm totally on the fence of like, I don't really love it, but it's really helpful. And if I don't oh, okay. really love it, it's just a thought anyway. You know what I mean? Like, how can I make it work for me in a way that I don't hate? I yeah. Guess. You got to figure out if you want to do it, you got to figure out not how to not hate it. I totally get that. And I'm not pushing yeah. you toward Instagram, but what right. the reason I even brought it up was you actually may find that, um, and this, this comes from a conversation I had with Amber earlier this morning, but you, I think people underestimate the importance of participating over publishing. So your Instagram activities or anyone's Facebook or wherever they hang out, their activity, the activity that matters more is probably participation as in commenting and engaging and direct messaging. That's as much or more important than publishing. So we put all this pressure on ourselves to have original ideas and to publish the next great thing when we could probably just have some placeholder content on whatever we're talking about, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, as Amber was teaching me about earlier this morning. And... Um, we could spend 80, 90% of our time participating. And then lo and behold, we're on a call with a, a prospect and then they're becoming a client. So participation more than publishing is, is something I think I'll be repeating. A good idea. That might be, that might take the pressure off. Oh, I hope it takes the pressure off because it, it switches you from being a person who's like, I have to be smart and brilliant and creative. And right. what am I going to talk about today? Right. <laughs> and it turns you into a person that's like, oh, I know I'm interested in this topic. I'm going to, I'm going to go be, I'm going to go participate. 
I'm going to go be a normal human. I'm going to go be a normal human. Right. Yeah. I was coaching, um, you need a budget, you know, my favorite software company, they've started a coaching certification because of course they have. And so I taught a class for their, um, certified new, newly certified coaches. And this guy gave this great example because they were all hung up on how do I get clients? What about my CRM? Like you don't need a CRM. This guy's like, Oh, I got a client the other day when I went to a movie with my friend and he saw me entering the ticket purchase, the movie ticket purchase into my app, into YNAB on my phone. And my friend said, Hey, what's that? Fast forward a couple of weeks. I have a client that's being a normal human, right. having it lead to a client that's marketing. That's marketing that doesn't suck. Yeah, um, so that's, I think that's a direction I would point you. Um, but I hope we keep getting to talk because even though it's midnight at your house, we'll see. It's very quiet. I've, I've been wasting all this time, all these years going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm excited to catch up with you again. Yeah, me too. Thanks. For uh, I see, helpful. I see another Amber with her hand up. Yeah. I, um, can you hear me, Mark? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to speak to the relationship building kind of like we've been talking about. So I coach ballroom dancers currently and, um, they don't, they're not in my like neighborhood. Right. So, but I go to competitions and I'm in a couple of chat groups in Facebook. And there was a woman in one of the groups who got on and posted and said, you know, what do you do if you have a really hard coaching session and you just feel torn down and you kind of want to quit and so I just private messaged her and I just told her what I did. And I said, I'm happy to do a free phone call with you. It sounds like you need to be talked down. Like she was freaking out and she took me up on it. Didn't sell her anything, right? Just like there for her, like help her process it, take it apart. So like, just like, this was like a year ago, right? Random, never heard from her again. All of a sudden I had like three or four consults booked like in a really short amount of time. And I thought, oh, maybe it's coming from the ads that I'm running now. Mm. So, I, so I start getting on these calls and they're like, oh no, Jane, who was this woman that I talked to a year ago is in my studio. She sent me to your podcast. So I've been listening to your podcast and now I'm coaching like three women from this one studio. So being the human, like seeing the need, offering the help, but then just being faithful and patient that that will produce fruit as you produce those relationships. It's such a great story, Amber. Thank you for sharing it. It, it um, we're going to do a lot more. We're going to talk a lot more about this kind of thing in the marketing sessions. But one thing I really want to highlight here from Amber's experience is Amber is a coach who is hanging out with ballroom dancers. And when I was talking to these budgeting coaches, I said, you're all budgeting coaches who want to hang out in personal finance communities. I would encourage you to go be a budgeting coach in a weightlifting community, in a ballroom dance community. I would go encourage you to be you, but outside your normal context or, or outside maybe the context that you think of as being like, well, like it'd be like, like Amber's a coach. I'm going to go hang out with a bunch of coaches. Of course you do that. That's fun. But you're more interesting as a coach surrounded by non-coaches than you are as a coach surrounded by coaches. So when it comes to relationship building, there is that, that sort of uh, intrigue piece. There's that, that uniqueness piece. That's like, Oh, interesting. She's a ballroom dancer. Who's a life coach hanging out with ballroom dancers. That's, it's not the only thing that can work, but I think it is a thing that can work is participating in communities that aren't necessarily perfectly aligned. Like if, uh, like if I were a, 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 I just use the example of a weight training thing. If I were a weight training coach, I'm probably not going to go build relationships for marketing purposes with a bunch of other weight training coaches. I'll probably go to a personal finance community. Like I want there to be some contrast. I want there to be some overlap, but some contrast between me and the other people in the community. And it helps me to, it helps there to be some interest around me and interest in me. That's my story, by the way. It was as simple as the one dude in the room at a life coaching thing. Like, for a long time, I was the only dude in the room. And also I wasn't so much trying to coach people. I was trying to help them with their money. So there was just all this interest around me very naturally. 
because of that contrast. And I would, I would just sort of plant that seed in all your heads as something to consider as you're figuring out where, where do I want to go participate? Thank you, Amber, for your story. I love stories like that. I really want to surface as many stories like that as I can so that people can get a sense for, oh, it's actually pretty easy. It just takes patience. Cause that was a year ago that you talked with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can take time for those seeds to bear fruit. All right, folks, I'm ready to be done for the day. Um, any, anybody else I can chat with anything else I can, anything else I can be helpful with before we call it a day. This thing will show up on a podcast feed. I have to set up the podcast feed. I have to do all the things that I procrastinate doing. Um, so you're all tagged in my email list now as participants in this. So watch your inboxes for, uh, the podcast link. And other than that, I will talk to you next Tuesday. Okay. Thanks everybody. Great to talk with you and uh, looking forward to future interactions. We'll see you.